You know what the most dangerous thing in America is, right? Nigga with a library card. <laughs> This is the Most Dangerous Thing in America podcast, a show in which we read books by black authors and they're talked about by a black author, and you can listen to the show if you are black or not black. This week on the podcast, we are talking about Beyond a Boundary by C.L.R. James. I came to this book by reading Black Marxism by Cedric J. Robinson. He, uh, he deals with C.L.R. James quite a bit. And this book is listed as one of the greatest sport books ever written. And it is a sports book, but it's not, it's not, um, it's not overly sporty. So it's about cricket, to give a quick summary. The book is about cricket, about his reminiscences about cricket, about how cricket has to do with the West Indies, about how cricket is a representative of the life of a West Indian, how it is an art, how it is poetry. So he really jumps in and out of a lot of different things here. There's a lot to cover. But if I had to give a linear like through line about what the book is about, it starts with his earliest memories of cricket. And it goes until 1962, which is when the book is published. So it goes all the way through his life. So it's a lifelong love affair with cricket. And I guess the through line would be how cricket and how his love of cricket helps transform him from a like sports fan and budding author, a lover of literature, into a political activist and uh, nationalist. And cricket does play a part in that, uh, strangely enough. And he doesn't he doesn't see a problem with giving cricket that level of credit. So when I'm going to talk about this book here, I'm just going to jump around to a bunch of different topics that are in the book because, like I said, it's not there isn't like a really huge through line other than just literal time. But uh, there's times where he's talking about himself playing cricket, his studies. And there are other times where he's talking about different professional cricket players and how they transform the game. And I have no knowledge of cricket, so I can't really get into that. And then there are times where he discusses like the aesthetics of art and uh, curves and then tries to tie that back in with cricket. So he, he really jumps around a ton. So I'm going to jump around a ton in this podcast and just talk about the things I thought were interesting. All right, so the first thing here is uh, starting to... Actually, I'm going to go in chronological order a little bit. And he opens the book talking about these kind of indelible sports moments we have as kids, which is very interesting. Whenever you've really ingested a certain sports moment, especially if it's a local sports moment, and so you think of these guys who you watch playing... For me, it's going to be basketball. So I'm always just going to reference basketball. Watch playing pickup basketball and you think, well, that guy was really good. And no matter who you see later, you're always going to relate it back to that. You know, obviously, by the time you're an adult, you will have seen professionals playing these sports and they, they will be the greatest in the world. But still, those younger guys always kind of stick with you. Well, he writes about these two guys, uh, Arthur Jones, and I can't remember the name of the other guy. I think it might have been, was it Bondman? Matthew Bondman? Anyway, they're two guys from from um, from the island. He's he's from Trinidad and Tobago, so they're two guys from from there. And um, he writes, they only appear as starting points, 
they only appear as starting points for your fandom. Okay, is what he means. They only appear as starting points. In reality, they were the end, the last stones put into place of a pyramid whose base constantly widened until it embraced those aspects of social relations, politics, and art laid bare when the veil of the temple has been rent in twain as ours has been. So that's also a good example of uh, the kind of writer he is. Can at times seem, especially when the subject matter is cricket, it can it can seem grandiose, but I think he leans into it and it works. Uh, but anyway, so he's talking about this this concept of just growing up and seeing these these guys play cricket around um, around Trinidad and really believing that they were amazing cricket players. It's kind of hard to fathom how much cricket was being played there. The only thing I can liken it to is if you've ever watched Ken Burns' um, epic documentary, Baseball, at the beginning of it, when baseball first kicks off, it seems like every single person is playing baseball. And I know when my parents first met, they were playing softball. Obviously, this is not the 19th century or early 20th century, but they were playing softball. So this idea of like adult leagues and people coming from their job and just kind of playing baseball, you know, just this was a leisure activity to do, obviously, you know, no internet and uh, no movies and no television in the, in the 19th century when baseball was first invented. And even as those things became popular, you know, even as you had radio and movies, uh, still plenty of time to fill the day. So it's an interesting concept. Everybody just kind of playing cricket, going to cricket, uh, everybody playing baseball, going to baseball and, and the, the leisure culture really taking off in the 19th century, which he does talk about. So it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around the amount of cricket that's being played in the West Indies at the time. He's describing a situation in which his like the the back door of his house led onto a cricket pitch, and so he just got there and watched these guys and and fell in love with the game. And of course, uh, for me, a ba- well, there's a basketball crossover and a small town crossover. For basketball, whenever I would read Slam magazine growing up, they would always talk about these streetball legends and you have them in every every city in America and that guy who didn't make it and he should have made it um there's tons the one I'm remembering right now is Hook Mitchell who I think is from Oakland California yeah and then the small town uh thing is the the greatest sports moment I've ever had in my entire life and I've watched a lot of sports was a comeback win on a touchdown by Ryan Rogers uh Redlands High School I think it was 2001 you know, the stadium probably held a couple thousand people. It was a University of Redlands stadium, but we played our high school football games there. And that was the most exciting game I've ever been to. So I totally relate to this thing that uh, CLR James is talking about. I think it's absolutely true. And yeah, I really, I really dug that thing. And then he moves on and starts talking about the code, um, the code of cricket. This was an interesting idea, too, and this is basically the idea of sports uh, sports as cultural indoctrination and um, sports as a way to, like, teach someone how to be in society. And so, to quote, I don't want to read this whole quote, so I'll try to read just part of it, but I think it's already revealing. Now, remember, he's a, he's a black man from Trinidad, and he says, uh, Before very long, I acquired a discipline for which the only name is Puritan. So, right away, you can see that. He's adopting the terms of, uh, quite literally, his colonizers, and his approach to cricket, is what he's talking about, was Puritan. Okay, he says, I never cheated, I never appealed for a decision unless I thought the batsman was out, I never agreed with the umpire, I never jeered at a defeated opponent, I never gave to a friend a vote or a place 
which by any stretch of imagination could be seen as belonging to an enemy or to a stranger, and he goes on for a while. This is actually a pretty good through line throughout the book, as he becomes disabused of this notion of the code. There's a part where he's talking to his friend, because I don't think he realized how much of it bled into his social life. So he's talking about how he's a Puritan in cricket and how he's a gentleman on the on the pitch and that kind of stuff. And uh, at one point he's talking to one of the great cricketers from the West Indies, uh, Leary Constantine. And he says to them, you know, essentially that the West Indians don't follow the code in the way that the British follow the code. And Constantine interrupts him and says, no, 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 they're exactly like us. And he's further disabused with this notion as um, I think what's called big cricket or like international cricket takes off. And, and he sees that some people do talk during matches and aren't all that gentlemanly. And it's not people from the West Indies. Um, apparently he had never, apparently sledging wasn't a thing. I think sledging might be controversial. It was the only thing I knew about cricket going into this. And sledging is essentially trash, trash talk. But more than that, more than just this aspect of it, uh, this aspect of the on-field behavior, there's also like, so he goes to the U.S. and um, he's talking to a bunch of, he lives in the U.S. for like a decade. And there was at the time a cheating scandal. And he was talking to some uh, presumably black U.S. friends. And he was like, don't you think this is awful that they would cheat? Now, I got to say as an aside, I, I do think it's awful to cheat at sports because I love basketball. So if somebody cheated at basketball, I would find that bad. But the reason he found it bad is because he thought it was disrespectful to the school um, to which they belonged. And the Americans had no qualm with that whatsoever. In fact, they kind of embraced the rebelliousness. And he talks about how the Americans had this natural rebelliousness. And it was odd that he didn't have it because he was a self-proclaimed Marxist. And um, he he's, a, you know, an enemy of British imperialism. He had been in Britain writing against British imperialism, as we covered in the uh, Cedric J. Robinson book. So it was weird for him to see how much sports had indoctrinated his brain with this idea of the code, and it was seeping into like his political views as well. Uh, here's a quote from that section. When the discussions began, they had looked at me a little strangely. I, a colonial born and bred, a Marxist, declared enemy of British imperialism in all its ways and works, was the last person they had expected that sort of thing from. And that sort of thing that he that he's talking about is this loyalty to loyalty to authority and it might not seem like the school is the authority but the school is the institution that helps indoctrinate all of the things that are carried out by imperialism and he was very much born and bred under those doctrines um he read i think he said he read vanity fair like a hundred times or something like that and all he, all he did was read english literature growing up and you know part of that was because of the educational system that was uh implemented by imperial powers so that was interesting and then the way he eventually comes out of it is also interesting so at the end of the book and i thought this was a nice a nice uh bookend haha a nice bookend to to his journey from person who's learning a sport loves it and admires the idea of not cheating which i also admire in sports not cheating and playing the game the right way which is an interesting phrase because that's a loaded phrase right so he goes from that journey into being in England with his buddy Constantine who's playing professional cricket and learning from Constantine that like, no, everybody is, that, that code thing, that's just like an ideal. And when you're reading about cricket in the newspaper, they make it seem like everybody's out there, you know, doffing caps and shaking hands. But there's, there's, real, um, there's real ungentlemanly things. There's real competition on the pitch. There's real 
code breaking, you know, breaking the unwritten rules, as we say in, in, in baseball, uh, going on on both sides. It's not like this, you know, these people are inherently more cultured, gentlemanly, let's even use the word civilized than these other people. Okay. Then he goes to America and sees this like natural rebelliousness that is even more anti-authority than anti-authoritarian and anti-authority than he was even prepared for as a Marxist and enemy of British imperialism. And then at the end of the book, when the West Indians had started around, oh, when did they gain independence? It was in the 1960s. So towards the end of the book, uh, that's happening and nationalism is taking off. And But the kind of nationalism that's not, um, you know, like German nationalism or something, the kind of nationalism, the kind of nationalism that's organized around, hey, we don't want to be a, a, a colony any longer. That's all taking off. And there was a, a um, what do you call it? There was a demonstration at a cricket game. And this was seen as just, oh, what a travesty. They just ruined the game. Well, how could they do that? And he writes, uh, well, and he was angry about it. And the reason there was a demonstration is because they, they had kept choosing white captains for the British West, or for the West Indian cricket team, although there were black men who were qualified and black men who were great at, at cricket. And this was upsetting everybody on top of the fact that they weren't allowed to self-govern. And so it just didn't it didn't jibe with um with CLR James James's worldview of what should be happening with Trinidad's worldview of what's happening. There was this up upheaval and it uh it manifested itself at this cricket match. And he was writing in The Nation, which was a magazine in Trinidad at the time, and so he says, When I confessed I was angry, even sympathizers balked at this. I assume he means white sympathizers. According to the code, anger should not intrude into cricket. I understood them well. I had been as foolish in my time. According to the colonial version of the code, you were to show yourself a quote-unquote true sport by not making a fuss about the most barefaced discrimination because it wasn't cricket. Not me any longer to that, I said. I was saying my final goodbye. So there you go. So that's his whole journey. Um... There's so much more going on in the book, and we're going to talk about it. But that is really like the through line of it is starting with cricket. He still loves cricket, but this idea that cricket is supposed to indoctrinate him with um, the values of British culture uh, to the detriment of his liberty is something that he did away with. And what's remarkable about it is he did this in his 50s. He talks about it like this happened to him when he was in America. He's like 50 years old, and that's when he realized like, oh, Oh, I need to be like even more radical than I was. So, so yeah. All right, I want to get to the other stuff in the book, and I've already gone uh, for quite a while talking about that, which is the the weightiest part of the book. So I'm going to try to fly through some things that I just think are interesting. Should I list them? Yeah, let's list them. That way I can keep track. The first one, amateurism. This is an interesting, so I was talking about the baseball thing earlier, and um, tennis was amateur at that point. Basketball is already pro for most of, no, 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 not for most of the book. It wasn't back when sports were just amateur and there was not much money in them. It's an interesting time. And I think it's kind of a golden age for people like CLR James who were born and watched amateur sports for like 20 or 25 years. And there's a point where he talks about like, the greatest athletes will be athletes of the mind and that's how they'll improve. And I don't think he realized how much money was going to get pumped into sports and how big of a difference it makes when you're training 
for sports like a job versus when you're getting off of your job and going and playing the sport. You're just not going to be as great. Uh, not that I disagree about the, the mental thing. That is so much of sports and you see it more and more as you get older. But anyway, the time in which sports were an amateur thing is uh, is very uh, interesting to me. It's an interesting period. All right. The second thing is, yeah, the mentality thing, the makings of a great athlete. He's so I think the game is largely mental. And I think a good example of this in basketball would be Steph Curry. If you watch basketball, you you will see guys now taking shots that when I was just, you know, just 10 years ago, really. Um, so when I was in college, people would have been like, oh, that's a terrible shot for like 90% of people. And now guys take these shots all the time. And so it was just never a a thought. Nobody ever had the thought of like, can I take that shot? And because of that, that expanded the game. Now, CLR James, he goes even further. So he writes, there is a zeitgeist of cricket. A particular generation of cricketers thinks in a certain way and only a change in society, not legislation, will change the prevail, uh, the prevailing style. More of that to come first to all in. So yeah, he really gets into this later in the book where he talks about this, um, the welfare of the mind and because uh post-war society so much of society needed help to get back on its feet and was obsessed with security that cricketers had become obsessed with security and so they couldn't bust out of it uh it's an interesting thought it's certainly an interesting thought um cricket is definitely a different sport than basketball i don't know if an obsession with security leads you to being conservative on the pitch I don't know enough about cricket to really argue that, but it seems like a hell of a thing to assign to, um, to a sport, but Hey, it's possible. All right. Third thing is, um, Oh, the people's champ idea. So this is a big one. He talks about Constantine who was like one of the first, uh, first people's champs. They, they, they really, well, there was a couple, there was a guy before Constantine. I can't remember his name right now. But he was before Constantine, then there was Constantine, then there was a guy after Constantine. So he goes through three guys, but Constantine's the one who he spends the most time on and who he actually talks to. And it's the idea of somebody that we can call our boy. Basically, somebody who's a representative of the entire race is what he's getting at. Um, and, in, in, and in particular, the nation, because, uh, well, Trinidad's a very diverse nation with a lot of different ethnicities making it up. But... Um, he means black people in Trinidad. That's what he means. He means the black people of Trinidad wanted Constantine to go to England and play well and show out for them. And the closest thing I can think of with this in American sports, I mean, there's, you know, I, I think there's some of this in basketball, but really it's boxing. Boxing is the one, you know, if you've, if you've seen Coming to America, the Rocky Marciano and uh, Joe Lewis bit is, is famous. But anytime um, a black boxer and a white boxer face off, Uh, As Bomani Jones has said, you will see the two Americas. If you don't believe in two Americas, wait for a boxing match between uh, a black man and a white man. I found myself in the dubious position of having to... I've found myself several times, actually, in the dubious position of having to cheer for the domestic abuser Floyd Mayweather when he is fighting Conor McGregor and, uh, I think recently, Jake Paul. Um, I guess I didn't have to cheer for him. But uh, I felt compelled to. It didn't feel good. It did not feel good. All right, moving on. The fourth thing, the rise of games in the 19th century. So as we talked about, baseball and cricket and a bunch of different sports, uh, were their professional leagues were established in the 19th century. 
James goes into why this was because he's kind of, he says, you know, the Greeks were way into sports and then there was kind of like a, a break between the Greeks and then until the 19th century. And without checking him historically, let's just assume that that's true. I thought an interesting theory behind this might just be that there was so much going on in the, and I'm going to now butcher some French, the fin de siècle. Oof. Uh, there was so much going on at the end of the century. So many different ideas coming out. You know, religion was being disproved and attacked by Darwin's theory of evolution. Uh, you had Marx talking about how capitalism is going to evolve into socialism. So you had all of these different ideas coming and kind of seemed like society was being torn apart. At least its foundation being ripped up by its roots. And so there was more of a need for a release valve. What's interesting is that those release valves have now become their own kind of weird pressure cooker. And because um, they're no longer like these amateur things that we go out and do as leisure activities, they're now giant billion dollar industries. And it's harder to have people like Constantine or W.G. Grace. He talks about the cricketer W.G. Grace and how he, he, he was, uh, he was from England, but how the whole of England like galvanized themselves around him and he was like a modern hero it's kind of hard to have those people at least in America where we don't have a national sport anymore I think in England it's not as hard like if Harry Kane leads England to a, a World Cup or if, even if they win the uh, the Euro Cup this year you could see that something like that happening but even even still it's it's not as it's not like it used to be society's just a bit more fractured so it's an interesting Interesting snapshot of the time then. Okay, a couple more things. Cricket is art. He goes into a long thing about cricket as art. We're not going to get into it. There's just too much. Uh, suffice to say that I think that every single person who plays a sport is just going to feel like their sport is art. Reading it, I was, I mean, it was just going to fall on deaf ears. I've never watched cricket extensively. Watched some highlights on YouTube. I'm going to always argue for basketball's art. So, yeah. Anyway, moving on. And then racialism. Ton of racialism in the book. He talks about the racialism in Trinidad. The, the colorism and racialism, so it's combined, the holdovers from the colonial state, so white people being in charge, and then the lighter you are, the better, and uh, either the lighter or the less black you are. So if you're dark-skinned but not black, because they had a significant Indian and Chinese immigrant uh, population move in. So there's all of that racialism, and then the racialism of sports in general, which he talks about, where... You know, they would describe like West Indian hitting techniques, you know, this exotic technique or this different technique instead of just praising the mental approach to the game. Or they would talk about his friend Constantine protesting racialism and they'd say, well, why is he protesting? Hasn't he gotten so much from this sport? And it's funny because you see these same things today. You see when you have like particularly fast players in football, I mean soccer. You'll see them, I can't remember, I think it's like pace and power. It's a pace and power team, which is just the way of saying like, oh, it's a fast team, they don't really know how to play football. Or, um, you know, in basketball, when you see a crafty, uh, there you go, when you see a crafty player, crafty, if if you hear a player described as crafty, it is a 99% chance that he's white. And then with the grateful thing and why is this guy complaining, an obvious example would be LeBron or Kaepernick. So still happening today, racialism still present. And yeah, was present then too. All right. Oof. Ran through a lot of stuff there. Got a few more things and then we're going to end. So 
see if we can close this out in five minutes so that we're we're under the 30 minute wire um a few things would just be the writing style in general as i said at the top it can it can border on the grandiose but you love it because it shows how much cricket really means and I, he's trying to sell you on the idea that cricket is art and that cricket is um like a zeitgeist and that it's it's influenced by society and influences society and can even influence politics when you're doing that you got to go you got to lean in you can't talk about it in some simple terms you got to full-on lean into the metaphor um i'll just pick a sentence at random that i really loved and read it maybe it's not the most exemplary sentence of the grandiose style but i already read one earlier so anyway i just like the sentence fires burned in saint hill oh that's the name of the other cricketer who was the people's champ before constantine and he flamed out in england so that was a disappointment but anyway he wrote fires burned in saint hill and you could always see the glow simple enough but um poetic and nice the other things about the writing style i really liked the blend of going back and forth from cricket to politics or cricket into art or cricket into this or cricket into that he didn't just Hit you with straight cricket, and that's why the book's very accessible if you're not a person who has ever watched, if you are a person who's never watched cricket, which I am. Uh, I really want to, by the way. I think it'd be fun. So that was nice. Like, it's a good meditation on just society, culture, what influences culture, what things can indoctrinate us, and how, and how easy it is to be indoctrinated without knowing it. Um, and I think ultimately, C.L.R. James comes out of it feeling more revolutionary, radical. But I don't think he ever fully divested himself from um, the indoctrination. I don't think he could. I think he loved cricket too much. And I think he loved aspects of British culture too much to like completely do away with him and i'm not I'm not suggesting that he should have but he didn't now i don't think it was even really close but i do think he got uh he got uh, enough as he got older he got enough um, familiarity with what was going on to to see what was happening like he was able to actually step outside of it and say like whoa that's what i've been doing and again he did that at 50 so when he when he has that revelation when he's in america and he's like oh right he's 50 you know, most people at 50 aren't rediscovering themselves. Or he may have been 40, and I think he says he took 10 years to realign his values and thought. He took 10 years. He said to himself, I got to sit down and figure this out. And it was 10 years. So that's cool um, that he was able to do that. And when he did it, he came and wrote about cricket again. So he had started, because that's one of his things. He had started writing about cricket, and then he had ended his, nah, this wasn't the end of his career, but he had almost into the end of uh, after a large hiatus he had come back to cricket and then he goes back to english literature so even though he had come to see the problems with these things cricket and english literature he still kept them as his two main his two main subjects which is interesting so i guess really what happened was on this journey he learned how to look at them differently but he didn't stop loving them and yeah i think that's that's reasonable i'm definitely never going to give up on basketball and it definitely has some of the same uh, aspects of indoctrination in it that um, that all sports do. Teaching you how to be a, a good team player, which is in a way teaching you how to be a good citizen. Which never doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. And I can be a team player. I can be. Although I do this podcast solo. 
All right. I think that's it. Uh, we are under 30 minutes. Oh my goodness, we have to hurry. We've only got a minute and a half left. I also picked up a book, the other book by C.L.R. James, uh, not the other book, his only novel, Minty Alley, and it looks really, really good. I, I kind of want to read that next on the podcast, and I might do it. So I'm either going to read this book next, Minty Alley, and just do back-to-back C.L.R. James, or possibly a mystery novel definitely something light i'll be going lighter i'll actually be reading fiction so look out for that and yeah all right that's it so uh stay safe stay black and keep reading